0: Hello, America, and welcome to a new edition of John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Just The News. We're today in Washington on justthenews.com. There is lots of breaking news, and I've got somebody special to break it all down for us. The amazing news editor for Just The News, Joe Weber, joins us. Joe, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks for having me, John.
0: There is a lot going on today, and so let's start with the big game of chicken on Capitol Hill. It looks like, uh, if I'm reading this correctly, uh, that um, Nancy Pelosi is going to keep lawmakers in until they get a uh, another COVID relief package, which means no one can go campaign for re-election. Uh, tell us the dynamic that's playing out there.
1: Well, that's the marker that she's thrown down. She said yesterday that uh, no one's going to leave. And um, this is a, uh, a big um, next move in a really high-stakes game when you consider the fact that, uh, you know, all 435 seats are up for re-election every two years. Uh, there's a lot of people who are uh, whose seats are in jeopardy. They need to come home and campaign. We talked about John and I. I know you've talked about just a couple of weeks ago Abigail Spanberger, who's one of those type of people right. who needs to go Central home. Central Virginia, right? Yeah, yeah. And so you know those seats, she needs people need to campaign. So I don't know what if this is going to move the needle. Um, this has been going on back and forth, as you know. The House Democrats had a bill in May uh, for coronavirus relief package, right? Uh, about 2.3 million. Um, trillion, right? Trillion. Trillion, excuse yeah. me. Democrats. Republicans said uh, that's just too much money at this point as the uh, virus seems to be winding down and the debt continues to go up. Uh, they put out a marker at about 1, $1 trillion. Now, uh, Madam Speaker is offering 1.5, but the Republicans have gone down to 500 billion. So <laughs> I don't know where <laughs> you see this next. But, it sounds uh, like
0: a bad version of the price is right, doesn't it?
1: It does, right. Wow.
0: But that's a significant drop. Somebody blinked for Nancy Pelosi to come down from 2.5 to 1.5. That's a big blink. And it suggests that everybody wants to get something done now. So the Dems are there and, and the Republicans went down to kind of get a middle point. Uh, do you think we have Monty Hall in the making here and there'll be a deal soon?
1: I do. I think that the, the, the numbers are coming up. I think that the 500 billion was a low ball. But if you take a look, you know, maybe the lead's buried in the idea that uh, she said no one can leave. Uh, and the real lead being there that she's now down from like $2.3 uh, trillion to $1.5. Yeah,
0: that's a big blink. That's a big concession. So uh, that what that tells you probably is that the 30 Democrats in those Trump districts know they got to get back on the trail. And uh, they're begging to get something done. They need to
1: get home to their home district, yes. Yeah,
0: they got to bring home the bacon in the final few weeks of that election. So, uh, well, I know you're going to do a great job. Your team is fantastic. It's the reason why we have such great breaking news every day at Just the News. So I know we're going to stay on top of this. There was another surprise today. This actually quite surprised me. I didn't expect this. And uh, and I've been writing about Ron Johnson and Chuck Grassley and their big Ukraine Investigation. The report is supposed to come out next week. They got subpoenas today. Uh, Apparently three dozen more subpoenas uh, uh, focused on big witnesses. What do we know about that?
1: Yes, indeed. This is the Senate Homeland Security and Government Affairs uh, Committee, and they're investigating whether and the the extent of uh, which the Obama administration officials played in the Russia-Trump collusion investigation, and they issued nearly three dozen of them. This includes not only depositions but subpoenas. Uh, they're serious, and they want to get this um, this wrapped up. I wouldn't be surprised if we saw some come out uh, before November. Yeah. And, um, and on another interesting front there, they decided not to issue a subpoena to U.S. Ambassador uh, Slovakia, Bridget Brink, as part of the members' separate probe in the overseas business dealings of Hunter Biden. Interesting. Of, yeah, he's the son of uh, Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden. And you have done a lot of reporting on that.
0: Yep. And uh, I have a little tip for people. If they go to justinnews.com tomorrow morning, Thursday morning, I'll have some new reporting. It may be one of the most important and big stories, uh, the big reveals of uh, that of what we've learned about Hunter Biden. I'll give you a little hint. It involves the Treasury Department and some heartburn about some money flowing into Hunter Biden's business accounts more on that tomorrow morning. Tune, tune in. Uh, Joe will be editing and getting that up on the site tomorrow. We're so lucky to have him as as our, our chief of breaking news. He's he's one of the best in the profession. Uh, I got yep. one, more for you because I, I love reading the site, and every day we find uh, something fascinating. And in this era of censorship and foreign intrusion and and um, cancel culture, Facebook is always in the griddle pan. I mean, every day it's got something it's dealing with. But we have a fantastic story today. I, I don't know if we should call her a whistleblower, but a now departed uh, Facebook employee, an engineer who worked on interference issues in terms of uh, fraud and, and misinformation and disinformation, had a uh, some very strong parting words about the ability of her, her former employer, Facebook, to stay on top of all of the bad conduct in the social media space. What have we learned about that, Joe?
1: Well, she wrote a 6,000-word piece on her way out the door about this. Wow. And what we basically found out is that what she says, that um, it, it seems as if um, the, the, the fake news and the misinformation that's coming out is bigger and more than Facebook can handle. It seems to be... Um, almost like a slapdash operation there mid-level operation to try to filter get it out but they just can't keep up and um it was a sobering reality about the the world's most powerful and biggest social media platform uh struggling to keep up with misinformation yeah it
0: seems to me that um the debate that's going to follow from this and you know when i read it i I sort of felt like she was claiming we were we were using a dropper to fight a um a forest fire Uh, It seems as though um, the debate's going to be, well, Facebook has billions and billions of dollars. Why can't they just hire more people? And the question will really come down, are they really serious about that or is it window dressing? I guess we're gonna have to learn more and see what the regulators do, um, what Congress does. There were just some hearings about where the social media giants were on Capitol Hill. But an interesting argument of Facebook perhaps crying poverty, hard to imagine with their cash flow uh, that they don't, they can't afford enough employees to, to address this issue. Fascinating be, stuff.
1: B, yeah, if I just might add the other thing is that, you know, uh, these guys claim to be, you know, um, Silicon Valley, the smartest guys in the world. Uh, and so you would obviously think that they could figure out some algorithms or how to redeploy the sources, resources that they have, uh, to get a grip on this. So it, it does speak to, you know, the, maybe the sincerity of their desires.
0: Yeah, I think we're going to see a lot of debate about that. It was interesting to have an insider call them out. Uh, Nothing like someone who knows what's really going on in the sausage factory every day to tell you what's going on. Um, Albeit, you know, a disgruntled former employee, obviously, but uh, an interesting warning sign. And uh, and, uh, I think we're going to hear a lot more on this front. The last 45, 50 days of the election, uh, the social media manipulation will be a front page story almost every day. And so... I think we're just at the beginning of a long narrative on Facebook and Twitter and the other emerging social platforms. Joe, I can't thank you enough. We don't get a chance to talk often on the show with you. We're going to try to change that, get you on more often. But uh, you are a steady hand at the helm. You're the reason why people come to us and realize they're not getting any opinion, just straight news, because you edit and make sure that our great team stay on the straight and narrow. And uh, I just want to thank you personally. And uh, I think everyone who heard you realize why why you're in charge. We're we're lucky to have you.
1: you. I hope you have me have me back soon.
0: Oh, that'll be an easy thing. We're going to try to do this more often. <laughs> we we started this a couple of weeks ago, and our listeners love it. So once a week, we're trying to showcase our, our great colleagues here. So we're going to do this more often. All right, folks, we're going to let uh, Joe go back uh, to work. He's got a lot of breaking news. Uh, we're going to go to a quick commercial break. When we come back, we're going to have another one of our great colleagues and some more breaking news. Nick Balasy had a one-on-one with AOC. I bet you're going to be able to guess what she might have said about Joe Biden right after this commercial break. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break, and I promised you one of the great reporters at Just the News, and he's here now, Nick Ballasy, one of our, our congressional correspondent, a guy who gets more big interviews every day than anyone I know. Uh, he works it hard all day. His shoes are worn out on the leather because he's working the street every day trying to find somebody to interview, and he found a big one yesterday. Um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, otherwise known as AOC, spent some time with, Nick Palasey, and she said exactly what I think we've all been thinking in the back of our mind, but now she said it on the record. Nick, what did she tell you about Joe Biden?
2: So she's saying that once Biden wins, that the progressive wing of the Democratic Party will be able to uh, convince him to move uh, further left, more progressive. Wow. So, yeah, she's banking on, in several areas, uh, several policy areas, Joe Biden getting more progressive, similar to what we're hearing from Bernie Sanders, that right now at the at this point in the campaign, Biden's not being progressive enough to energize the liberal base of the party.
0: There seems to be some concern in that front inside the party, right? Is that what you're picking up?
2: Yeah, I think so. I mean, they want the base to be energized, especially when we've got the pandemic and the Biden campaign isn't really knocking on doors and there's not much of a grassroots effort going on. Uh, Because of the pandemic. So they're concerned that the liberal base is not going to be as energized for for Biden, who over the course of his career, you know, he's been pretty moderate. But right. uh, There's these strong, progressive, uh, you know, uh, this wing of the party that's trying to get him to be uh, more liberal and move further to the left, which he's done in in several policy areas up to this point. Uh, But but Ocasio-Cortez thinks they can move him even further left on issues like immigration or foreign policy and even possibly health care.
0: Well, now we know why they gave Ocasio-Cortez only uh, 60 seconds at the Democratic National Convention. They didn't want her saying this, uh, because obviously every Democratic candidate and Republican candidate, when they get to the general election, the, the tr- tr- traditional strategies to m- tack to the center and try to get the independents and moderates who aren't ideological. And here's AOC, as she often does. She's a disruptor like Donald Trump, disrupting the conventional wisdom, telling people before, we want this guy to be even further left. And so uh, let's remind people some of the things that have happened. Just before the convention, uh, Bernie Sanders gave an interview where he said that he believed Joe Biden would be the most liberal progressive president since FDR. That's pretty That's pretty liberal. That's pretty far. Uh, certainly not where Bill Clinton was or even Barack Obama. Now, uh, that's based on his current plan. That's where Bernie Sanders puts him. And now Ocasio-Cortez, if I understand correct, says, we're going to tack them even further left once he gets elected. Uh, where do we go? As I mean, is AOC's vision that... Joe Biden at age 77, 78 is going to be a socialist. I mean, where where does he where would she like him to end up in in uh, in policy from where he is today, which is, by the way, pretty, pretty far left by Democratic presidents of the past.
2: Yeah, what was interesting is I mentioned in my exchange with her that climate seemed to be one of the topics, climate change, where she's want she wants a, a stronger plan from the Biden campaign, similar to the Green New Deal that they rolled out and she said, well, we've, we've made some recommendations on that front, but one area and that they've been stubborn on is healthcare. So she pivoted my, oh, my climate question to healthcare and said that that, so it seems like maybe behind the scenes, they're really trying to push for the longstanding uh, hope of a single payer system in the democratic party. Interesting. I mean, and I think with Biden, you know, he's got the single payer. He doesn't have a single payer, but he's got the public option, a federally mandated, federally run public option, right. which is further to the left than what Obama was able to do with the Affordable Care Act. But it seems like they're just working on moving him even further towards single payer or Medicare for all system. Yeah. Um, but she acknowledged there needs to be some sort of strong movement among the public to get that done. It's not just going to take her or any far uh, left or progressive member of Congress to get him to do it. It has to be, you know, coming from the public as well.
0: Fascinating. And and then on climate change, I mean, uh, Biden already has a plan to phase out fossil fuels. Uh, Ocasio-Cortez, I think, wants it done in the next 10 years or 12 years. I forget the exact timetable she has. But, uh, you know, the when we say moving left, I think you said it right. Biden's already to the left of where Obama ran in 08 and 12. You're talking about things like Medicare for all, uh, a complete ban on on uh, fracking and and which is something that, ocasio Cortez has been arguing for, um, pretty pretty interesting pressure and it kind of shows the the delicate balancing act that Joe Biden has right, which is he's a moderate by career, he's the head of a party that's perhaps as far left as it's ever been and as a party in general, and the rebel wing the the Bernie Sanders AOC wing which is really lights up the base wants him to go even further. Um, what a what a dynamic to watch in the last 40-plus days of the election.
2: For sure. For sure. There's more to come. I mean, uh, already he's gone further left on on many issues, like a $15 minimum wage. Right. He's talked about uh, the two years of uh, free community college, which was one of the things Bernie supported for a long time. And so, and reparations. He supports a study, a right. federal study, on the issue of uh, reparations for the descendants of um, African-American slaves, which is something you hear from the progressive wing of the Democratic Party. Sure. And so is health care the next one? We'll see. Will he bend on that one? I mean, the public option, a federally run one that doesn't even involve the insurance companies, uh, would be uh, further to the left of Obama. We'll see if he actually goes along with the uh, strong forces that want single payer uh, in their in his party,
0: yeah. Well, these are the important issues that Americans have to sort through before election day, and you've done a great job. Great interview. It's fun. It's right on the Capitol steps. It's got a great visual uh it's classic AOC great interview she was gracious you asked a great important question and um if you haven't had a chance to check this out folks go to Justinnews.com. check out all of Nick Ballasey's great work he's one of our best and uh, we're so proud of the big interviews he gets every day you kind of had a boring magic. week this week right only John Stewart and and um <laughs> ocasio Cortez someone else from Hollywood too right weren't you talking about oh, Magic Johnson right
2: yeah magic johnson he did that uh, event with the um Congressional Black Caucus for their legislative conference. And he talked about uh, how he still gets worried when he sees a police car. They were talking about police reform. And uh, it was interesting, though, his message to parents uh, during the discussion with Maxine Waters. She was saying, what's your message to parents who may be concerned? He has sons. What's your message? And he was just saying, now's not a time to be a tough guy with the police. And uh, you should just follow instructions and not, you know, say you're going to take somebody down and be aggressive, which I thought was an interesting take yeah. on.
0: Listen, he's a smart sport. guy, and uh, he was one of the great point guards in, in all of NBA history. Um, he he knows a good move and a bad move, and uh, it seems like that was pretty sage advice. That's advice that I think a lot of people, regardless of political stripe, might agree with, though. they haven't, A lot of people haven't said it recently. Coming from his lips, it's pretty influential, so... Um, great great interviews these are great stuff that you do every day i got about 90 seconds left i want to ask you two things it looks like nancy pelosi blinked today came down on the demand that they have to do a 2.3 trillion uh or bust uh coronavirus package he's down at 1.5 trillion remarkably the republicans went down too i guess it's a game of how low can we go now but um joe weber just talked about this in the earlier segment do you mm-hmm. see with all this movement and blinking going on that they're trying to get to a deal? And what's the pressure that makes them get a deal done soon?
2: Yeah, I think they're working toward a deal. I think there is public pressure. People still want some sort of action because we're not fully out of the pandemic yet. And I think both parties are feeling it. And maybe when they were back at in their home districts uh, recently, at least the House was, they were uh, hearing it maybe from yeah. constituents, Good they point. were doing some virtual events, and constituents have been expressing a concern about it. And even on the calls with Biden, he's been doing these virtual calls, right? Not accessible to the media though. Uh, he doesn't really take any questions, yeah, but man. he hears a lot from constituents, uh, from people around the country in the Democratic Party, and there's pressure to get it done. So we'll see if they can come to some sort of agreement. The the negotiations with the White House pretty much stalled completely. But there's been a little bit of back and forth between uh, the congressional leaders. Uh, so it looks like something could happen. Uh, yeah. But but the state and local aid, that's a big...
0: That's a the staking big staking point, point right?
2: Yeah, that's a, that they wanted a trillion uh, for that in the HEROES Act that was passed in May. The Democrats passed it in the House. Wow. And uh, the Republicans haven't gone for it in the Senate. And the bill that they put up recently didn't have that at all, the state and local aid. Wow. Uh, and then the smaller unemployment, they had the $300 right. federal added a supercharged unemployment right. benefit lower than the 600 that we've seen uh, during the pandemic with the CARES Act. Right. There's another sticking point that I think they're going to have to come to some sort of agreement if they want to get that full package. But as you know, John, in D.C., they don't really do these smaller things. No. I mean, they could have done the th- one that the Senate put up and said, all right, we'll deal with the you know, the next issue in a separate package. They want, they want to go all for it. Yeah.
0: Go big big or go home. And of course, a lot of them want to go home because they got to start campaigning. The election's only 40 plus days away. Is there anything beyond coronavirus? Just real quickly, anything beyond coronavirus that uh, lawmakers need to tackle before they head home for their traditional election break?
2: Well, they have uh, more work to be done on appropriations because they got to keep the government funded right. uh, because they don't pass these annual they budgets don't. anymore. Those kicking annual that can budgets down the road. are all gone. They do the continuing resolutions. They've got that. And then, and I think also we may actually see some action on this bill that John Stewart was on Capitol Hill supporting with Gillibrand, which right. uh, it's a complex legislation, but a summary of it is just that uh, burn pits in Iraq other areas and other countries where our service members are, uh, they're inhaling these toxins. Yeah, and then when they are out of service and they get diseases or they get cancer, they get an illness, they're not able to claim it uh, and get benefits from the VA unless they can prove with hard evidence that right. it was directly related to their service. John Stewart and these lawmakers are trying to change that and let them it's apply the new for Agent Orange. It's the a, it's a
0: modern day Agent Orange concern and. Uh, Uh, God bless John Stewart for trying to bring uh, attention to that. This is a man who, as you know, was a big war critic, but he's become over the last few years through his work at the USO, his eyes have opened to how amazing our military men and women are and He's become a, a big champion of their medical needs. Nick, you are amazing. Uh, we are so grateful for your work, your great video interviews, your great analysis on television, uh, and I think people get a good sense of why you're such an integral part of our news team just from, from hearing you talk today. We're going to have you That's back right. on soon. I know you got to get back and find out what those rascals on Capitol Hill have planned next.
2: Absolutely. Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks, Nick. Have a good day. We'll talk to you soon. All right, folks, we're going to go to a quick commercial break. When we come back, one more, Daniel Payne, one of our great enterprise reporters from Just the News, joining us next after these commercial messages. Getting the
3: smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with bite clear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret?
0: All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. And yes, I promised you Daniel Payne, and we've got him right now. Our great enterprise reporter Daniel Payne from JustTheNews.com joins us. Daniel, welcome back to the show.
3: John, always a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: It's an honor to have you on. It's also an honor just to watch you in action every day. You're doing great work. We love what you do. Um, You have been uh, one of our leading reporters on COVID-19. The good, the bad, the ugly, the unexpected. And uh, you have, more than anyone else, I think, helped correct or mitigate some of the hysterical reporting that went on early in the, in the process that we now learned was overblown or inaccurate or misstated. And uh, I think our readers incredibly appreciate the, the courage and the um, tenacity and the careful use of facts that you've done, to to get people to the right point knowing, you knowing the serious disease, but also some of it was hyperbole or, or overblown. Uh, tell us where we are in the fight. It seems like the numbers continue to go down in most places. Uh, I saw a story today that suggested one of uh, America's cities or states might have reached herd immunity, or I think it was Great Britain believes they're hit, reaching herd immunity. But um, we're still seeing a downward trend generally across the United States, a hotspot here, hotspot there. Uh, what's the state of play on the numbers and what will play out between now and election day
3: yeah john so so the the good news is that there is good news about covid and and the funny thing is that there has been pretty good news about covid nationwide as a whole uh since about mid july or so um you know we we kind of had um what appeared to be two peaks in this country uh one that uh hit its peak around um early April or so, uh, maybe mid-April, and then uh, one that uh, began going up in the early summer and peaked around mid-July. The funny thing is that you you don't hear uh, a lot about that. Um, People really seem to be uh, uh, convinced uh, in large part that uh, numbers are, are increasing. Uh, that we're getting, uh, you know, new daily case highs every day. Um, that deaths are going up, or that they're, you know, catastrophically high. Um, what we're seeing, what we've been seeing since uh, since the middle of July, is that uh, both both cases, daily new cases, and deaths are declining. Um, it's been, uh, you know, uh, certainly not fast enough of a decline, but it has been very steady. And like you said, there are certain parts of the country. Uh, that are seeing some some flare ups. Um, you're seeing them here and there. Um, others, like uh, New York, for instance, uh, have shown consistently flat numbers, uh, really kind of for months now, uh, flat cases and yeah. flat deaths. Um, so so overall, you know, aside from the fact that we still have this virus out here and that, uh, you know, we, we don't want anybody uh, dying from it, uh, the numbers are, are are very encouraging. And if they continue their trend, point to uh, a pandemic that, uh, you know, is is uh, clearly seems to be on some sort of wane.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's right. And you've been on top of these numbers. Uh, you and Johns Hopkins are in a race to get to the right numbers every day. And uh, <laughs> we're so grateful of that, um, that acuity and that, that dedication to the numbers. And, you know, it's always important to keep how serious this disease is, but it's also important to give an honest portrait of the numbers. And I think you've done that time and again. And I see so many readers uh, at Justin who send us an email thanking us for your work and for your diligence and your neutral tone. You're not alarmist. You're realist. You, you give facts and you don't try to yank anyone's opinion. And I think that's important. One of the questions that I think has... Um, uh, predominated the debate for quite some time and you know we, we get into these silly debates and, and talk radio and talk tv uh well you're you're either a pandemic a pandemic acceptor or a pandemic denier and you know there's a lot of room between those two silly polls and and some of it is just understanding you know early on fog of war uh, we right. have one view of the virus. And then as we go on, we learn things about, you know, new tests, new procedures. We, we, we were against masks and we were for masks. That was a big switch. We were right. still letting people go on uh, cruises and sending sick people with COVID to nursing homes. We found out both of those were bad ideas. Right. And we're beginning to learn that there's some uh, interesting data about the sensitivity of covid 19 testing. And by the way, important to do the testing. No one's suggesting we should stop doing it, but that it may detect um, such minuscule or small instances of COVID that aren't even at the contagion level or even the symptomatic level, which could have an uh, 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 armchair quarterback effect long term when we look back at this and how many people were truly infected, meaning they were sick with the virus as opposed to having one or two molecules of the virus in their blood. What have you been working on a couple of state data sets and uh, one particular test? Can you give us a again, I know you're going to break this tomorrow morning. Can you give our listeners a little skinny early about what you're what you're finding?
3: Yeah, I mean, we're, 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 we're finding a, a growing body of research that, that points to the conclusion that that these tests, which, uh, you know, medical authorities and state governments and, and average Americans have have kind of relied on for months and months now, uh, yeah, may in fact be uh, uh, picking up uh, mere fragments of the disease, um, you know, particles, little strands of DNA. Right. Um, what that indicates is that, you know, the, the, the protocol going in the U.S. for so long now, that's sort of the the, the the dominant public health policy is that if you get a positive return on a COVID test, uh, you got to quarantine. Uh, right. you got to quarantine for, you know, anywhere from, you know, two weeks to longer. Everybody that you've come into contact with over the last week has to be contacted. They have to possibly quarantine. Basically, there's kind of this ripple effect from any one uh, positive result that could end up impacting so many people's lives. Right. And what, what some sort of preliminary but, but very compelling research indicates is that these machines have been set to, to, to sort of amplify this virus to a level that if you just take a tiny sample of it and put it through one of these tests – it's going to detect it, even if it's, it's kind of clinically innocuous and, and uh, very likely not uh, worthy of concern. So uh, th- there's this sort of growing chorus of voices that, that, that uh, you know, it isn't downplaying the importance of tests, but is saying that we need to look at them uh, with a much more sensitive and discerning eye to determine who is actually sick. And who is actually just carrying a few shards of the virus that don't actually mean anything? So that's a huge, uh, hugely important step for public policy uh, kind of this late in the game.
0: Yeah. No, and no, listen, I, I think one of the great things that America needs to do after this, and I've talked to, we've had a lot of experts on the show. I know you've interviewed them. We got an armchair quarterback. What we learned from this, because we thought we went into this pandemic with a playbook. We didn't follow it most of the time. We've been flying by our pants, and it would be good to learn. And, you know, the fact that these tents are, uh, Tests are so sensitive or great. That's a good thing that they, they uh, they're able to pick up um, a part particular matter. But at the end of the day, when it comes to pandemics and viruses, viral load is the important determinant. If you got enough viral load, that you're going to get sick. That's when we want to quarantine you, and when you become too contagious. But if you know you picked up a strand or a fragment or a piece of something corona related, and you're not infected. Uh, we'd love to be able to uh, separate the wheat from the chaff in the in the disease field. Uh, it sounds like uh, you're you're onto an important finding here, and uh, I guess tomorrow morning people will be able to go to justthenews.com and find out what's happening.
3: Yeah, I think so. I'd encourage them to do so. You know, we we don't we don't want the the one thing that could be destructive, uh, you know, could continue to be destructive going forward. Is this kind of zero tolerance zero tolerance policy where we we sort of treat all results as the same? Uh, what we need is a much smarter, I think, and leaner. Uh, uh, public policy that uh, that can really differentiate between the two.
0: Great point. And that's why we have journalists just like you working hard to help us people help people get to that data point. We're not there to make up your minds. We're there to give you the data points so you can make up the minds. Um, And uh, Daniel Payne, you've done that so well. We're so glad that you're uh, an important member of our team. So we'll have you back on the show soon. And uh, thank you for all of your great reporting.
3: John, John, thanks for having me. Always a pleasure.
0: It's a pleasure having you on, too. All right, folks, that wraps up this special edition of uh, John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Just the News. We had so much fun. We had so many good stories breaking on the site. We thought we'd let you hear directly from the great reporters on the front lines of the news unfolding today. We'll be back tomorrow with our regularly scheduled program. I can tell you who's going to be on. Sarah Huckabee Sanders, yes the woman that stood at the White House press podium and took all that abuse for years. She's got some uh, pretty powerful things to say about the state of media, the state of politics, the state of the election, and what it's like uh, to work for Donald Trump, the inside look, and her brand new book, uh, all uh, in tomorrow's podcast. So be sure to come back and join us tomorrow. In the meantime, when you want to see great, the great work of Daniel and Joe and uh, all the other great reporters we have, Nick and Christine and Carrie drop over to justthenews.com and get a quick news fix. You won't be disappointed. Lots of breaking news and enterprise all day long. We thank you for your support. We wish you
1: a good day. We'll be back Thursday with another edition.